Uh, so we're going to uh, leave our David series for a couple of weeks, and as you saw from the video, we're going to talk a little bit about giving this week and next week, and then next week and the week after, we're going to have our gift days. Okay, today we're going to talk a bit about money. Oh joy, I hear you all say. We probably do that a couple of times a year here at City Church. It's a very important part of our faith journey that we address the issue of what we do with our money, how we give, um, and our attitudes connected with that. Jesus spoke about money a lot. In fact, there's only one thing that he spoke about more than money. Anyone know what that thing is? No, good. Uh, It's the kingdom of God. So first thing is the kingdom of God. Second thing... Uh, that he spoke about really most often was money and referring to it in all kinds of ways, uh, but particularly putting the emphasis on our attitude towards it and whether or not money is going to rule you or whether you are going to rule it. And that's really the subject for today. Uh, So if you'd like to turn to Mark's Gospel, we're going to read some verses in Mark chapter 12. And this is an instance in the life of Jesus and his disciples. And uh, let's see what... His word says. So Mark chapter 12, a few verses from verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were being put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling on his disciples, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put into the treasury more than all the others. And they all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of the Bible. We pray as we kind of sit under it right now. I pray, teach each of us. We pray, Holy Spirit, would you instruct us and would you direct us? Would you warn us and encourage us? I pray, shape us individually and together as a church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why does Jesus commend this widow? What is it about what she's done that is worthy of getting in the Bible? Just imagine that this dear lady, of course, life's been difficult. We know she's a widow. We know that she's very poor. She just has two copper coins to put in, and that's all she has to live on. And yet here she is in the Bible. Sometimes you miss that point, don't you? There were some very wealthy and influential people that would have been around at the time, probably putting money into the offering alongside this lady. We don't hear about them. But here, 2,000 years later, 21st century Bristol, we're talking about this dear lady. That's on purpose. Jesus absolutely intended that we would do that. And it's uh, what an honor for this dear lady. We don't know her name, but one day... Uh, we will meet her and we can ask her, what was it, what happened? I think that's a, what a wonderful opportunity to do that. Here she is in the Bible because of the way that she dealt with the money that God had given to her. But we need to work out why, what is it that we're supposed to take from this story? What is our takeaway? And I think sometimes it's good to look at it kind of straight. Other times it might be good and we'll do this today. Say, what is this not about? What is this story not teaching us? What are the surprising things or maybe the notable things that Jesus doesn't say that bring through their absence the emphasis on what he does actually say? And so we're going to look at it in that way. So firstly, we'll look at the fact that, that it's not kind of a commendation from Jesus simply that this lady is poor. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not just saying, well done for being poor. That's not the point of this story. 
It's not the amount that she gave. It wasn't like it was an exact amount to do something, like two copper coins. Like suddenly we, we, we write paperbacks and do blogs about the two copper coin kind of, you know, this is the thing now. We have to do two copper coins. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's not the emphasis Jesus is putting on this moment. And he doesn't actually, the inter- another interesting thing that he doesn't say is that he doesn't say it's wrong for rich people to put lots of money in. And he's sitting, I, mean, I, I think maybe the most notable thing is he's sitting watching. It's not, not what we would do. It's not, it's not very British, Jesus, is it? Sitting watching people put money in the offering. That's like, whoa, hang on. But that's what's happening. And, uh, but he doesn't say, you rich people, you shouldn't be putting lots of money in. He doesn't say that. It's not where he puts his emphasis here. Uh, nor is he saying to her, well done, dear lady, well done, you've done your duty. You've done your duty, that's good, well done. That's not what he's saying. But Jesus does start with something here. He starts with the assumption that it's right and appropriate for people to give money. He's just assuming that. There he is sitting, watching the process. He doesn't comment that there's anything wrong with it. It's well established in the community of Israel that that's what you do. That's what happens. And actually, you can find something of that in, back in Numbers 18, way back in their history. If you remember the story of how the Israelite people were freed from Egypt and Moses led them through the desert for those 40 years and they were given a land of their own. And each tribe, each of the family of families, the tribes, they were given an allotted piece of land or an allotment. Or not quite the allotment maybe that's in your mind, but an allotted piece of land to kind of own and to grow crops and to support their family, but also to be generous with. And that was part of their story. Now, there were one of these tribes called the Levites, and the Levites had a a special job. They were the priests, and they would be serving in the temple or in uh, wherever the the Ark of the Covenant was at the time, whether it was in the tabernacle or the temple, and they would serve, and they would make the sacrifices, and they would do the rituals that that, at that time uh, the nation had to do um, uh, before God. And that meant they weren't as free to kind of produce their own food and wealth as everybody else was. And so what would happen, the other tribes would give money, and that money would go towards supporting uh, the Levites. And so it was well established, this coordinated system of giving. That was part of the nation's makeup. They all knew that, and that's what's happening here, that Jesus is sitting watching that happen. The people are coming, and they're coming to the temple, and they're putting their money in, and that's where, at least in part, that money is going But actually what Jesus is doing with that as a background is he's going straight to the heart of the matter. It's not about those peripheral things and that established way of giving. He's going to the heart. And actually, we said this in in our David series, the Bible does that all of the time. It directs us to what's unseen, what's inside, not just what's on the outside. And uh, our David series is, is called A Man After God's Heart. And the reason we've called it that is because in 1 Samuel 16, Uh, We read this, the Lord doesn't look at things as people look at them. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God is interested in what's happening inside of you. What's your attitude like? And And we might think, well, that's a bit harsh, except when we find out that God is offering to put a new heart in you. He's saying, yes, people can change, and I'm I'm the one to do it. I'm going to change everything about you, not just on the outside. We're not just going to paper over all the cracks. I'm going to give you a new heart. And it's out of the the outflow of that happy, kind of repentant, grateful heart that this kind of change 
And this kind of generosity comes. And that's what we're finding here in this story. So it's not just, well, do your duty. Let's make sure everyone's doing the right thing. It's not just about behavior. It's about an attitude that comes from within. That's what God's interested in. That's what he's interested in when we're talking about money. He's concerned with that in each of us. So God always directs our thinking inward into the heart of the matter, to the heart of us, to the heart of his people. Not just the actions, but the attitudes towards that as well. God's also not interested in us looking good in front of others. It's not kind of, that's not what it's about. It's not just, well, let's make sure that everyone, when people look at us, it looks like we're doing the right things. It's much deeper than that. If that was all that God was interested in, then the Pharisees would have been kind of the champions of Jesus' day because that's what they did. They did it right. And so when they did their tithing, they tithed everything. They tithed everything out of the garden. So all of the herbs that they grew in the garden, each one was carefully measured and then tithed. It was kind of an obsession. And what does Jesus, but what does Jesus say about them? Even though they were doing that to the, absolutely to the letter of the law, Jesus says to them, you whitewashed tombs. He says, it looks good on the outside, everything looks great on the outside, but you're full of dead men's bones on the inside. Nothing's changed. And God's saying, I'll change your heart, I'll do this thing that you've been longing for, I'll give you a heart after me. I'll give you a heart for others. I'll give you a heart that loves people, that cares, that's generous, that's kind and good, just like Jesus was and is. And actually Jesus says this in reference to those kind of pharisaical ways of giving. He says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Uh, do you watch the TV programs where they're giving large sums of money, and it's a large amount of money, but it's also a massive check. It's like the massive check moment, and on they come, with their, like two or three of them holding this huge check moment. And what, what Jesus is saying in Matthew, 16, or Matthew 6 is, if you give like that, that's your reward. The kind of, oh, wow, everyone looks on things, what a generous person, what a generous company. What a generous individual. They would be so generous like that. And Jesus is saying, and that's, the, that's your reward. There it is. But he's also saying, listen, do something in secret, and you'll find out what's really in your own heart. You'll find out what's in here. You can measure something no one else will ever know. No one is ever going to see. But you will know where that sits before God. You're going to know that if you approach this gift day with that kind of attitude. You're going to find that out. I'm going to find that out. We're going to find that out in our home as well. Where does it sit? Where is my heart before him? How changed, how much change is happening day by day in there? I think culturally we're a bit prone to be seen to do the right thing. Maybe as British people, we like to be seen to do the right thing. That's, we're, we're good people. We do the right thing. But God is wanting to go behind the scenes and say, now what's, what's the attitude? What's the motive? And that's because he can and because that's where he's interested in, in real change. Not just a facade, not just, as I said, a papering over of something, but of a real change of heart. So it's not just, well, I want to be seen to be generous. Actually, there's a generosity bubbling up from within, a happy, joyful generosity that comes out of a grateful heart that gives time and energy and money to, to, away just freely, trusting that a heavenly Father is watching and seeing and able to provide everything that you need. 
So firstly, this woman is not commended primarily because she's, she's poor. It's not just that she's poor. It's not like, well done, you're poor, that's a good thing. Now, that isn't to say that the gospel isn't shaped for the poor. It is. And let's just read this, another verse from 1 Samuel, back before the story of David. We see Hannah, who was Samuel's mother, who's praising God. And she says this, he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. And the reason the poor get special attention often in the Bible is because there's a, a recognition of, of need. They know they need help. The New Testament, Jesus says it's hard for rich people to get into the kingdom of God. Why? Because often they're so self-sufficient, they don't know how to ask for help. They just think they can do it themselves. They think, I did this, I earned this, I made all this stuff, I've done it myself. And then the gospel says you need to plead with God for everything. You're like, well, I don't, I've never needed to do that. I don't know how you do that. Whereas people who don't have a lot of material things often are much, are much more ready to say, yeah, I know I need help. There's a humility sometimes that comes with that. And there's a pride that comes sometimes with wealth. But in this story, that's not the commendation. It's not a well done for being poor that Jesus is saying. He's, he's not addressing the disciples to the financial status of the lady, but he's pointing towards her attitude toward what she does have. Her attitude to what she does have. Secondly, she's not commended for the amount. As we said, it's not like it's the figure. It's not the number. It's not the two coins that actually matters. There's nothing special about two coins. We're not about to start the kind of the two-coin blog, and we've all got to give two coins away. That's not what's happening here either. It's really about something behind that. Now, that isn't to say that God doesn't speak to individuals about amounts of money. He does. And actually, just on a practical level, when you approach this gift day in the next two weeks, let me just tell you what we do. So we would pray about it, and we will talk about it. Cheryl and I will talk about it together, and sometimes we'll both come with different numbers, and then we have to talk about that together with what we're going to do about that. And we lay that before God, and then we do it together. That's how we often do it. And so often, when we've done that over many years, God will supply and fill the gap that's left. In fact, in the last probably a couple of months, something similar happened where we gave away some money to someone. Uh, we didn't, weren't expecting it, weren't planning it, but it kind of happened. And then through various ways, um, quite, a, quite a lot of money came to us, and it was almost the exact amount that we'd given away. Who's had that experience? Just a show of hands. See, lots of people, same at Bradley State, lots of people say, yeah, I know what that's like. I know what it's like to give and find that God does exactly what he says. He gives back in return that good measure pressed down running over because he loves the cheerful giver so you might want to think about that um, now other people do things differently actually when it comes to the amount some people will do it like that they'll pray about it other people much more pragmatic than I am would look at the kind of the giving units within the church and say well there's this many people we our targets 50,000 pounds they would sort of do the sums split it all up so this this is my kind of contribution that's not the world I live in, but some people do it that way, and that's perfectly valid to do that, to think, okay, that's probably where we need to sit in terms of how we give. Now, however you do it, it doesn't really matter, but do it with faith and do it before God. And if, you, if, if you're not married, then do it in discussion, maybe even with friends. It's good to be accountable to others as well. Just say, look, I'm just praying about this. Would you pray for me as we approach this? But what's happening here is not about the amount, it's about the heart. 
The other thing we said is Jesus doesn't say that it's wrong for these wealthy people to give lots of money. He's not saying that's a bad thing. He's not saying, ah, oh, look at all these hypocrites putting big amounts of money into the pot. He doesn't say that. And actually, if we look at the parable of the talents, you know that story, that parable where there's a, a rich investor and he invests in different individuals and he gives them different amounts of talents. And actually, in the, in the story, in the parable that Jesus tells, that's money that he's giving to them. And what's a bit surprising about that story is he expects a return for that money and the greater amount that's given, the greater return he expects. He expects a return. Now, here's an... Uh, an uncomfortable thing maybe for us is we are a wealthy generation of people. And I know with Brexit and all the uncertainties around everything at the moment, that can, it can feel a bit fragile. But I tell you, you travel around the world and you come back and you realize, do you know what? We're doing okay. And actually, God has given this generation a talent of wealth. And he expects a return on it. And I wonder sometimes as he looks at our generation across maybe the Western world, I wonder what he expects. I wonder what his hope is in that investment of money into us as a generation. I do. I've, I've wondered that over the years. I wonder what his expectation is. What could we do if our generation was truly generous? We could do incredible things. And maybe as God's people, we need to set an example to a watching world of what that looks like. Of what that looks like. Fourthly, the widow is not commended for just doing her duty. It's not like, well done, you did your duty, excellent, all done. Good stuff, you kept the law, and that's what's good. That's not what Jesus is saying about this lady. So we looked at this system of tithing that was established in the Old Testament, that kind of organized giving uh, towards the support of that tribe of people that served as priests. Uh, but Jesus doesn't talk at all about that. That's not what he says. And actually, in the New Testament, this different way of relating to God appears with Jesus. And this new covenant, this new relationship. And the attitudes in that new relationship are really different. And Paul in 2 Corinthians kind of talks about what that looks like with reference to money. And he says this. He says, remember this in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each should give what they've decided in their heart to give. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. God is able to do something internally, so that, as we've said all along, it's out of a heart of gratitude that we give not out of some external law being put on you. This is, Christians ought to do this. That's what you ought to do. That's not what the New Testament is saying. It's saying out of a heart that knows it's been forgiven everything. Now use that as your measure. Use the thankfulness that bubbles up within, the grateful heart now. That's the shaping force for how you should give. It's a matter of the heart, says the New Testament, says Paul there. Not duty, but heart. So what then is this woman being commended for? We started with that question. What is it that she's being told? Why is she being championed to us thousands of years later? Why is she being held up as an example of someone who gave? Well, it's because of this. She put her faith in God rather than money. That's what she's doing right here. That's what Jesus is saying to us. She put her faith in God rather than her faith 
in the money that she had. And she demonstrated that faith. She demonstrated it by doing the deed, by putting the money in. It wasn't just talk. It wasn't just, yeah, I trust God. Didn't do seminars with PowerPoints about how she trusted God. She put the money in the box. It was an absolute demonstration of her faith in God. The opportunity to give is as much about this as it about, is about meeting a need. It's about our own hearts towards him as much as it is about filling a gap in our giving. You see, when God looks at the heart and it refers to money, we face some of these things. We, we face the fact that we can put faith in money. We can trust it. And we're encouraged to do that in our culture at every turn. You turn on the TV or you switch on your computer and there's adverts all the time for how you should invest and how you should uh, look after your money and protect it and invest for the future and look at constantly being told I have to pay for my, pe- for my funeral somehow. And if you get the same thing, fair enough. Constantly, constantly put your faith in money, we are told. Trust it. And whilst it's good to be a good steward of your money, that's absolutely the case, what we're being taught, really, I think, culturally, is to genuinely put our faith in it and trust it to the extent that really goes beyond good stewardship. We can trust money to look after us in our old age. That's our primary source of trust. I trust this money will look after me, and so I'm going to do everything I can to protect it and add to it. In fact, I'm going to make all sorts of sacrifices so that I can put more faith in it. I'm going to sacrifice my family life, for instance. So I'm going to take every possible promotion. Because, because well, I, I, we, need more, we must have more money. That's where we're putting our trust and our faith. So every time it comes along, I'm going, to go, I'm going to do that. And my family life suffers. My children suffer. My friends suffer. Church of God, maybe. The kingdom of God may suffer because, because people can do that. I trust money to bring me pleasure and relaxation. I'm trusting it for those things. I'm trusting that it will give, this, this money is going to deliver the good life that I think I deserve. Putting my faith in it, and I trust it. I'm sacrificing things towards it. It starts to sound like a God. That's what you do for a God. You sacrifice things to it. You put all your hope in it, believing that it will deliver a life that you desire. We can trust money to save us from uncertainty. We trust money, right, I've got... You know, everything insured, everywhere that could possibly be an insurance. I've done it all. Why? Because I'm trusting that money to save me from uncertainty. Now, good stewardship is a good thing, and the Bible teaches that. But we can so easily slip into trusting and worshipping something that while on its own is good, can easily become something else. In fact, Paul writing to his dear friend Timothy says this with regards to money. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is a a, a much and badly misquoted passage. So often when you hear this passage quoted, what you hear is money is the root of all evil. It doesn't even remotely say that. It says the love of money is a a root of all kinds of evil. 
And what he's saying is what we've tried to describe is when you elevate money to that God status in your life, when you're starting to sacrifice all sorts of things towards it, it's going to own you and it's going to rule over you in a cruel, and, in a cruel way like a cruel God might do. Imagine that verse over the doors of the banks in town. Can you imagine that? Walk to the bank and it says, love of money is of all kinds of evil. That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Like Lloyd's Bank, that's their new slogan. We're trying to sell it to them, I suppose. I don't imagine it would get much uptake, but actually it might serve people much better than this constant desire to have more and to put our trust and faith in it. This is what Jesus is getting at when he's commending this lady. He's saying, look, she didn't do that. That's not her, that, wasn't where, that wasn't where she put her faith. It wasn't there. She'd rejected, even in their day, when they didn't have the kind of constant onslaught of adverse and the constant kind of, this is all the good advice. And yet still, we find it was ruling over people then. And of course, it's not money in the verse that's evil. It's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. It's that worship of money, that trust in it. And that's what this lady had won. She'd won that battle. She'd beaten it, even with all the other things going on in, in her life, all the, all the tragedies she'd evidently faced, the difficulty she was under, she still wanted to make sure she was worshipping God with the money that she had. And God is inviting us to do something like that, to put our trust in him, to be, to be people that genuinely trust him first and foremost, and to demonstrate that sometimes by how we give. It's a way to do it. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. Jesus says you can't, do, you can't have both ways. You can't trust, you can't put your trust in money and put your trust in me. It's not going to work. You're going to constantly be divided. The constant battle's going to go on within you. Really what we're hearing here is use it to serve God or it will use you to serve itself. She gave all she had, just like Jesus gave all he had. We see Jesus' heart attitude was to pour himself out, body and soul, Everything he had, he was all in. He said, I'm, I'm for you. That's the good news of Jesus, is that God himself says, I'm absolutely committed to you. I'm committed to saving you from the worst decisions you've made, from the decisions that were made about you that you don't even know about, that have caused difficulty, whether, whether that's the inherited decisions, whether that's current decisions. He says, I'm coming to save you from that, and it's going to take all of me to do that, and he gives it willingly. And it costs him his life. And he says that, yes, I'll give it willingly. And even on the cross where he's kind of tempted again to change it all. So no, it's, it's today, he says, today, he says to the, the thief next to him, today you're going to be with me in paradise. I'm winning for you an eternal security that can, can't perish. It can't be touched. can't be robbed away. There was a parable that Jesus told about someone who 
had put his faith in money and he built these barns and he filled them up and the idea of it was I'll, I'll get all this stuff, I'll put it all together, I'll invest it all and then I can sit back and just enjoy an easy life. And the parable goes like this, you fool, this very night your soul is demanded of you. All of that went to waste. It was just a total waste of energy and time because he put his faith in it, he's put his trust in it rather than putting his faith and trust in God. We've been given a compelling vision by God to help Bristol believe, by preaching the good news of Jesus to all these diverse communities across Bristol, by planting sites of city church across the city, and then to give beyond ourselves to other places, to bring hope to this city and beyond. And we want to do that through this gift day. We do need to fill a gap in our own giving, but we also want to give beyond ourselves. That's why we're going to give 20% away of everything that we give. We want to bless Cardiff, and we want to bless the family of churches commission that we're part of, who are serving churches and supporting churches around the world. We're happy, proud to be part of that. We want to give into that wholeheartedly to support that work. Let me just finish with this quote from a, a wise old preacher that I grew up hearing, called, a guy called John Hosier. And he wrote part of a book called Embracing the Poor, and he addresses giving like this. You can choose to do nothing and simply remain rich and add to your riches. It's your choice. It absolutely is your choice. This is the path to materialism, he says. Materialism is not mere possession of material things, but an unhealthy obsession with them. In Scripture, we have warnings against confidence in riches. We have the story of the rich man who filled his barns and sat back for years of ease, only to find that he, that he disappeared into eternity and that very night, leaving barns, uh, full barns behind him. And then we have, finally, the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 and 17 and onwards. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. That's what this lady did, who richly provides for us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they can take hold of the life that is truly life. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you that you have desired to give us life that is truly life. And thank you that that life can only be found in and through you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the good news, which is that we can be part of that, part of that great reward that you won for us on the cross. And Father, I ask, even right now, Lord, as we come to the table in a moment, Lord, that we would remind ourselves of this great gift that you've given us, that our sins are gone, that it's done with, that it's finished, that we can come straight into your presence with great joy, welcomed into your presence. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that that has changed our hearts. That now, Lord God, that where there, was, where there wasn't generosity, now there is, Lord God. Where there was selfishness, now there's hopeful generosity, Lord Jesus. Where there was meanness, Lord, now there's grace. And Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord Jesus, that as we, again, we approach your table in a moment, Lord God, I pray, just fill us again with your spirit. Lord God, as we take the bread and wine and pray for one another, ask, Lord Jesus, just pour in again the grace 
of God. And we ask, Lord Jesus, as we approach these gift days in a week's time, Lord God, I ask, Father, that our attitudes would be like yours, Lord Jesus, willing to pour out ourselves for the good of your kingdom.